Well, church, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word. Join me in Genesis chapter 34 as we continue walking our way through the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. If you're new to North River Church, this is what we do each and every week is walk through a passage of Scripture, typically book by book through God's Word, trusting the Lord to speak to us through his word. I want you to know as we get ready to look at Genesis chapter 34, this is a hard passage of scripture to read and to work through. Feels like about every other sermon in the book of Genesis has been that, hasn't it? Where we sit and look at a difficult passage of scripture and yet it reminds us of what we've been saying from the beginning as we started in the book of Genesis that the greatest problem that this world sees, the greatest problem in our lives is a sin problem and the greatest hope that we have is Jesus Christ, our Savior who saves us from our sin. And what you're going to see this morning is sin run rampant in Genesis chapter 34. So I want to read the text for us and we'll walk back through it together this morning. This is God's word. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came, and Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke to them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem and the young men did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. 
Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, these men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock their property, and all their beasts be ours. Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that'll frame our time together as we work through Genesis chapter 34 at a rapid pace this morning. But it's this truth, sin will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. What we see in Genesis chapter 34 is sin run rampant. In fact, if you look back through the passage at zero point, will you even see any mention of God whatsoever? And we've seen as we've walked through the book of Genesis, sin is on display. We've seen the imperfection of people, the sinfulness of people, and it reminds us of how desperately we need this covenant promise of God to be fulfilled in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. We are without hope except for salvation through Jesus Christ. Our only hope for the sin problem that we have is Jesus. 
If you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that Scripture is very clear this morning. You are dead in your sin. There is nothing that you can do to earn the favor of God. You say, Pastor, then what do I do? Your only hope is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your only hope this morning is placing your faith and trust in him, receiving the forgiveness of your sins on the basis of him paying for them as he laid his life down on the cross. And his resurrection secures for you salvation through him. See, what we see in the text this morning is absolutely heartbreaking, not only for the pagan people that were around Jacob and his sons, but also for Jacob and his sons. The sin is not just them. The sin is also within the people of God as well. And I just want to say this to you. One of the most surefire ways to stop a move of God is for sin to be present within the body of Christ. It will shut down the work of God, which for us as followers of Jesus, the question this morning as we look in our own lives is to ask ourselves, is there sin that is unconfessed in my life? Would I be the hindrance of God continuing to move at North River Church? I want you to notice, first and foremost, verses 1 through 7, sin always, 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 say it with me, church, always brings destruction. Sin always brings destruction. Verses 1 through 7, we see the story of Dinah and Shechem, Dinah, one of the sons of Jacob, being taken by Shechem, one of the pagans within the land, and he rapes her and takes her for himself. It is an absolutely heartbreaking moment to see this take place in the same way. Can I just say, any type of sexual abuse in this world in which we live breaks the very heart of God. And yet that's exactly what happens here. He tries to couch it in verse 3, my soul was drawn to her, he loved her, you don't express love like that. And Jacob in verse 5 hears what has happened. He hears the destruction that this sin has brought, this heartbreak he must experience for his daughter in this moment, and yet it says that he held his peace until her brothers came in from the field. Hamor, Shechem's father, tries to fix the situation and go to Jacob and smooth things over. But notice verse 7. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. The men were indignant and very angry because, listen, he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. Within this pagan nation in which they were finding themselves among a pagan people, even at this point, 
Jacob and his sons recognized and understood God's plan for sex within the confines of a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Church, I just want to remind you and just say very explicitly this morning as we gather together that that is the confines whereby God has outlined for sex to take place. I know the culture in which we live. That culture is very much like the culture in which they found themselves. But even so, we as followers of Jesus, we at North River Church must be willing without question to stand firm to what God's word teaches about sex and sexuality. We must do that. In a culture that is confused, a culture that has lost all sense of direction regarding this, we must be willing to stand as heralds of the truth. Now hear me, we can do that as Jesus did, truth in love. We don't have to be jerks about it. We can hold forth the truth of God's word in love. Now, you may have heard the arguments. It's unloving to say what you just said, pastor. No. It is the most loving thing for us as followers of Jesus to say that this is God's word, and we must live our lives in accordance with that. Because sin brings destruction. Sin will always bring destruction. God has a plan for us as human beings to flourish and to experience his goodness in this world in which we live. But any type of sexual sin, it doesn't matter what it is, if it does not align with what God's word teaches, must for us be called out as sin. It doesn't matter if it's adultery or pornography. It doesn't matter if it's homosexuality or bestiality or polygamy. It doesn't matter what it may be. We as the church must be willing to stand firm on the truth of God's word. And hear me this morning, we must allow God's word to search our hearts as well. Because one of the greatest problems that the church has had through the years is to proclaim something that's not being lived out within our walls. I want you to hear me this morning that this situation is heartbreaking. Sin always brings destruction. But I want you to notice in verses 8 through verse 29 that sin often breeds deception as well. Sin often breeds deception. I want you to notice that the sons of Jacob in verse 7 where it says indignant, they were very angry. Now, we would look at that and say, of course they were. It makes perfect sense that they would be indignant and angry because of what happened to their sister. No doubt whatsoever. But what did that lead to? See, God's word tells us that we can be angry but do not sin. But I want you to notice that for them, that's not what happened at all. In fact, as you see, beginning in verse 8 and working down through these verses, they came up with a plan. The plan was very simple. We are going to incapacitate all the males in this pagan people, and we are going to murder them. 
That was their plan. That was what they had decided to do in this moment. See, the truth is sin often breeds deception. We convince ourselves in our sin that we should be able to get what we want. We convince ourselves in our sin that we should be able to have what we most desire. And that's exactly what happens here. They want to kill all of the inhabitants, the males in the land. And so they hatch this deceptive plan to be able to pull this off. But notice, if you will, as well, the people of the land also had a greed problem. You see, they were looking at this situation from the other perspective. They thought, verse 23, will not, if we take care of doing what they've asked us to do, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. Hamor and the people there were thinking, we can take everything that's theirs. You have two groups of people, a pagan people and a people who should have known the Lord, both deceived by their own sin and acting in accordance with that. Let me ask you a simple question this morning. Do you hate the sin in your life as much as you hate the sin in someone else's life? Follower of Jesus, do you hate the sin in your own life as much as you hate the sin in everyone else's life? You say, Pastor, this is not a super encouraging message this morning after all that we've heard. But hear me. God takes sin seriously. Have you deceived yourself this morning as a follower of Jesus to the point that you are living right now in unconfessed sin and you You're continuing to pursue it because you've deceived yourself to think that you should be able to have that. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be fulfilled. Therefore, I'm going to pursue whatever I want to find that and hear me this morning that God's word doesn't give us that opportunity. You notice that after all of this took place, after they had killed every male there. In verse 30, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, the two who had murdered all the men, you've brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. My numbers are few. If they gather themselves against me and attack me, I'll be destroyed, both I and my household. Notice verse 31. Notice their response. Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Even following all that transpired, they're still unwilling to come to the point of recognizing their sin. And here's the third truth. Sin regularly begs for defense. Sin in our lives, if unconfessed, regularly begs for a defense. 
I am absolutely confident this morning, as uncomfortable as this may be for you right now, that the Lord is pressing in on some of your hearts this morning because of the sin that is rampant in your life as a follower of Jesus right now. And you are doing everything that you can to make excuses for why you're doing what you're doing. Sin is deceptive. Sin always begs for a defense. But hear me as a follower of Jesus. The sin is what put Jesus Christ on the cross. The sin is what he laid his life down for. You say, Pastor, are you saying I've got to be perfect? No, what I'm saying is for us as followers of Jesus, we cannot, must not be comfortable with unconfessed sin in our lives. We can't make excuses for our sin. We can't be deceived by our sin and continue to pursue it and walk in obedience to the Lord. Hear me this morning. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is every sin in your life was paid for by the blood of Jesus. This message is not meant for condemnation. This message is meant for you as a follower of Jesus. If that describes you this morning and you have sin that is unconfessed in your life, this is the wake-up call for you to look once again at the Lord, to be reminded of all that Jesus Christ has done on your behalf to come running back to the arms of Jesus, to recognize that his death is paid for your sins and that you have an opportunity this morning to confess your sins to the Lord, to receive the forgiveness that his death offers to you to experience. And here's where the core comes, to experience once again a relationship with God that is not hindered as a result of your sin. God desires, church, to do something in this body of believers that I believe we will look back on one day and say it is only because God was at work. But first and foremost, that work must begin in us. That work must start in the house of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? may have come in today and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You cannot fix the sin problem that you have. Your only hope this morning is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you have the opportunity right now to take that step of placing your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation. God's word tells us that his death on the cross paid the debt of sin that we owed. His resurrection secures our salvation if we will trust in him alone. 
We'll be saved from our sins. That's the step that you need to take this morning. If you've already taken that step, you're a follower of Jesus already. And yet the Lord has pressed on your heart this morning because there's sin in your life that needs to be confessed. It needs to be dealt with. You've tried to make excuses for it. You've tried to overlook it. You've tried to convince yourself it's not that big of a deal. And this morning, the Lord is speaking to your heart, and he says, now is the time to deal with the sin. Now is the time to run back to my arms, to confess, to receive forgiveness have that relationship with him restored so that God can work and bring fruitfulness in your life. Will you respond this morning to that call? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it challenges us and convicts us. God, I pray that it would do just that right now in the lives of those here at North River Church. God, bring conviction of sin. God, bring courage to deal with the sin that is in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? Our altar is open. Our pastors are down front. You respond this morning as the Lord leads. You say, Pastor, if I respond, people are going to think there's something wrong. If there's something wrong, you need to respond.